about spiritual gifts, um, you know, that we all are gifted with things from God and spiritual gifts are those things that we take and we use to edify the community and to glorify God. So what are we talking about today, Steve? Well, today we're going to try and get a little bit of more specific concrete rooting, especially in a New Testament passage that seems pertinent on the subject. Last time our conversation was big and broad and we were almost sketching out um, in negative space, like what, what, what are spiritual gifts not or where are, the, where are the boundary markers of what we don't want to say. And so now let's try the, the, the more positive, okay, well, what are we talking about here? Um, and uh, a place to land is uh, in Paul's, what we call 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a reminder that Paul apparently had a lot of correspondence with the Corinthians, including letters we don't have anymore, but we call it 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and in the midst of a conversation about life in the whole community, um, Paul starts to talk about what kinds of gifts all of them possess, and we who overhear or eavesdrop on this letter 2,000 years later um, make the, the bold claim that we also who read this might have spiritual gifts as well. Are there, maybe, maybe as an entry point, are there things we should know about this particular letter or this part of the letter that would be helpful before we dig into what, what he actually says as a, as a listing of gifts? Uh, I think, again, it's important to lift up that we, he's been having correspondence with this community for a while, and he is responding to a letter. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, there seems to have been a question in the previous correspondence about spiritual gifts, because um, he, he starts this chapter as if it's like a new thought. So it's not building off too much of what came before. It's a little bit like it's a paragraph break and he goes now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. Um, so it's, it's very much seems to be as if there was a question posed, but we don't know what that question is. This is almost like when you read an email thread and the person goes per our last email correspondence. And like, you can tell they're referring back to a question that had gotten raised earlier in the chain, probably a question that you asked. Um, And if it's not familiar to you, you'd go back and look at, see what was your own original question. And since we've only got half of the conversation, all we can do is sort of guess at or kind of reconstruct by um, what Paul says in answer, what kinds of things they might've asked about. We might also want to call attention that all throughout the the Corinthian correspondence, there seems to be a recurring theme of that their lives are not just for themselves or their own individual little little groups and parties, but that God has brought them together in community for one another. So this is the same letter where Paul will like chastise them for each claiming different parties. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Simon Peter. And Jesus or Paul will say, no, you all belong to Christ and you don't get to, you know, say Jesus is my personal private possession. And also that the reason they have 
their life in Christ, including their spiritual gifts, is for the sake of one another. So maybe we could also say, before we get into reading what his actual listing of spiritual gifts includes in this particular letter, that it's immediately after this section of 1 Corinthians 12 that he does that whole extended metaphor about the church like a body. And he says, you know, just like the hand and the arm and the foot and the eye are all part of one body, they're all different and they exist for the sake of the whole. That's what your gifts are for. And immediately before that chapter um, that everybody's heard at every wedding they've ever been at, 1 Corinthians 13. 13, where Paul talks about the sake of love, the, 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 the motivation of love is for the good of the other, not just for yourself. Um, that like all that's floating in Paul's mind. He's going to get to the, the love part in a minute and the body part in a minute, but this is all one train of thought in his mind. The spiritual gifts are not just um, a, a bonus prize for me and my own ego, but for the sake of the whole, like the parts of a body are for the sake of the whole. So all that in the background, maybe it would be helpful for um, one of us to, to read that famous paragraph uh, from 1 Corinthians 12 that maybe starts with like verse 4 and goes through verse 11. Anybody got that handy? Want to read that out loud? I do. Go ahead, sir. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered to, by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So like we had said in our last episode, there's no one place where there's a, a biblical writer who says, these are the only gifts that could ever be listed. This is it. But this is a pretty decent place to start because Paul sort of sees these are the kinds of gifts that he has in mind when he's talking about spiritual gifts. And so he rattles off a list. These probably also must have been um, the kinds of things they're wrestling with in Corinth. So like um, notice he doesn't mention anything about putting together a really great PowerPoint presentation because that's not the issue in Corinth. So there's there might be other spiritual gifts that are uh, floating around, but they weren't the issue in, in Corinth. So he's listed things that seem to be part of their issue or part of what they need to deal with where they are. It can seem very repetitive, but he's consistently reminding them where these gifts come from. Yep. It's from the spirit, that one spirit, the Holy, you know, it never says Holy Spirit, but I mean, it's the idea. And in my translation in front of me, I mean, that spirit is always capitalized, meaning the Holy Spirit. Yep. You know, the importance, again, this is not a human thing. Right. These are a gift given to us via the Holy Spirit. Um, we are just a vessel to be used for these gifts. 
you could even tease out a little bit of early Trinitarianism in those opening verses where he says, given by the same spirit and the same Lord and the same God. I mean, like that's, that's not quite Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, uh, a Nicene Creed language, but it's awful close. And interesting, um, just as a side note, that while we're used to, uh, unfortunately, giving the, the Holy Spirit short shrift and being always relegated to number three here, Paul puts the spirit as the first in that ordering that, you know, it's the spirit gives a gift. So yes, of course, with the same Lord Jesus and yes, yes, God, the creator is a part of this too, but like it definitely underscores, this is more than just, um, I took an internet survey and this is what it said by a random algorithm that I'd be good at. Or this is more than just what the placemat about the Chinese Zodiac said at the takeout restaurant. Um, but this is, these are gifts that have been given by, by God and, as God chooses like that, that seems to be another important piece of this, that um, it's different than say the thinking behind not to be crude about it, but the Chinese Zodiac or astrology, that it's the planets you were born under that like you all you're born in July, you're doomed to have these personality traits that, that there's not that kind of fatalism or magical thinking and talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, It's not, Oh, you're from Philippi. Well, your spiritual gift must be this, but more like God reserves the right to gift people in ways um, without asking anybody else's permission. So somebody who you least expect might have this awesome gift and somebody you might think would be super great at everything. Maybe their gifts are meager because that's part of God's way of doing things, but um, that, that it's rooted in the God who gives and it isn't based on um, you're more prominent or richer or come from a you know, better name family therefore, but it, 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 it's all God. It's intentional. Not yeah. By yeah, 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 not not accidental. Yep. And I the, the verse that always stands out to me in this is that um to each is given the manifestation mm-hmm. of the spirit for the common good. Yeah. I think that there are two parts to this verse is that everybody is given something from the spirit mm-hmm. and that that something is supposed to be used for the common good. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's very much, uh, you know, again, this isn't a like all-inclusive list. Um, so th- there's a part of me that always kind of wonders if something that we're given from the spirit is something a little bit more common sometimes, like the ability to provide food. Mm-hmm. Like, is that a gift often of like, I have the ability to not only feed my family right now, but also to feed somebody else's family. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think about, um, even though it's not listed as one of these uh, gifts in this particular listing, um, in the book of Acts, uh, there's a figure named Barnabas, whose, whose real name isn't Barnabas, but he's given that nickname that means something like son of encouragement, because he's great at encouraging people. Um, and that, like, that's a definite gift. In, in some ways, it feels like it's always going to be a supplemental one that it requires, you know, boosting somebody else's ability or encouraging, bringing the best out of somebody else. Um but um, th- that's a really important gift. And it is by definition about helping somebody else be more fully themselves, pulling out the best from somebody else and, and enabling them to function better, to, to, to shine, so to speak, that sort of wind beneath my wings, Bette Midler kind of a uh, spiritual gift. Um, and, and that, that, that whole, that, 
that Paul says that all gifts kind of have that function of they are for the sake of the common good. Um, some may be showier than others and others may be a little more in the background, but that, yeah, they, they, they might not all be listed in this paragraph and they all have that same thrust of they are for the sake of the common good. I guess I, I would want to take a moment too, before we delve into the specifics of each of these gifts in further episodes to say that basic understanding that our purpose in community isn't just for me and myself or me and my immediate group or tribe or family unit, but for the sake of the, the whole the, of the common good, that seems to be like pretty baseline New Testament common sense logic. But man, that sounds countercultural in an era and a time like ours that is so easily focused on um, my abilities are for myself and I use it for me to get ahead. And that's what my talents and abilities are for. And I work hard for me to, you know, for, for my well-being. Nobody else can, you know, expect me to, you know, use what I have for them. And the New Testament just seems to go, of course, what you have and your abilities are for the sake of other people. Where do you think they came from? What do you think they're for? That, of course, your talents are not just for you. They're for other people. And other people's talents aren't just for them. They're to help you out, too. Like, the New Testament writers assume that and and we have to, almost like we are missionaries going to a foreign land, have to explain to our context in 21st century America that that's what the New Testament assumes. So um, I was, so I think you're making a very good point, Steve, but that's also not how the entire world operates, right? Yeah. Like that's very much much the U.S. context. That, well, yeah, that, that's what I mean to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article for a class the other week that was talking about um, the ability to delist private information on search engines. So say like somebody had posted revenge porn of you, or you just didn't want to have your personal information listed on the internet, you could um, put in this petition and it would delist like that information. It wouldn't delete it, but it would no longer be attached to your name. So it wouldn't ever come up for a like Google search um, on you. Okay. And um, this is something that has taken off in the uh, European Union, as well as some other countries like Brazil. And it has been defeated. So it does not happen in places like the US and Japan, but for very different reasons. Like in the U.S., it's because of First Amendment, First Amendment free speech stuff. Like I can say or write whatever I want, and that's part of my free speech. And um, that trumps your right to have privacy. It was defeated in Japan because in Japan, it's society first, individual second. Mm-hmm. And so, th- so the society deserves to be able to have access to information more so than your individual right to have privacy because the society comes first. And so it comes like the result was the same, but I think that's just a good example of how the morals of different societies. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess what, what strikes me is that in a, a place that likes to imagine itself as um, a Christian affiliated society. There's, there are some pretty deep core assumptions of contemporary American thinking that are very different from what the new Testament assumes. And the new Testament writers seem to be much more in 
line with, we exist in community for the benefit of one another. My talents, my abilities, my strengths are not just for me. They are for the sake of others. My spiritual gifts are not just for my sake or my benefit, but for others. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a hurdle we have to deal with in the mission field we've been placed in in 21st century America, where a lot of folks have this sort of a, no, whatever I have is mine and it's for me. And if I choose to be generous and share with somebody else, I can, but you can't expect it of me. And Paul starts with, you right, I can expect it of you because it's God who gave it for the sake of everybody, you dummy. And he doesn't always say you dummy, but sometimes he kind of does. <laughs> but I, I'm also just really curious to like, cause I've only lived in the U S and Canada, which are, is very similar to the U S that if we lived in Japan, which is society first individual second, but it's not a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. How would that be different? Yeah. Yeah. And how, how these passages are heard, there would certainly be something that, that strikes people differently there. Yeah. Right. And maybe there, part of the countercultural witness of, of Christianity might be to say, your gift is still a gift, even if it's weird and stands out from the crowd and you know, nobody else recognized. I mean, like, and that, that's, that's just it. There, there are, you could say, distinctives or peculiarities in both directions. That the conversation about spiritual gifts, yes, is about the common good, but it's also about diversity. And if you're in a culture that prizes uniformity and you don't step out of line because you don't want to be different, the whole conversation about spiritual gifts is no, God's given you a way of being different that stands out from other people. Use it, don't hide it. Um, that That's a piece of this whole conversation as well. So maybe it's in that tension between on the one hand, your gift is for the sake of everybody. This It's not just your private possession, but also your gift is meant to shine. You know, don't, don't hide your, your light under a bushel to borrow the words of Jesus. Um, it's meant to, to shine, but for the sake of the, the good of everybody. Well, I find it interesting, and Steve, you mentioned this earlier, how this passage is immediately followed by the passage about the body. Yep. Um, and I know like, in the translation I have in front of me on my phone, like there are two different headings, spiritual gifts, and then um, one body, many members. Yep. And I will speak for myself, and, and I won't speak for you all, but I'll speak for myself. And, you know, as clergy, sometimes we take those headings and then we end up we preach on that section or we teach on that section and we lose the continuity yeah. of the chapter of the book of the overall picture. There's a reason why these two passages, plus the love passage after the body passage right. Right. are all in line with one another. Yeah. Um, because they weren't meant to be, you know, the chapters and numbers were not there when Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This right. was meant to be all read at one time and one flow, everything feeding into another. Yeah. And, and we, I, we take it apart so often. We okay, we're gonna talk about spiritual gifts this week. We're gonna talk about the body this week, we're gonna talk about love this week, yep. and that's what, why we get the love passage at weddings. Yeah, and I I'd go further in the tradition that Sarah and I come from as folks who are more comfortable using uh, a lectionary, one of the real downsides of that is it breaks up longer passages into bite-sized morsels. And again, with, with the thought of people have a hard time paying attention for more than a paragraph or two, let's give them a little bit. After all, the preacher's going to preach on the gospel passage for the day anyway. Like, I, I get it. I've been there. I'm in that trap all the time too. And 
often the most that uh, one of these uh, readings from Paul will get is sort of a glancing. Last week we heard chapter 12, and this week I'm talking about chapter 13, because this is the one where I like the epistle reading better than I like the God. Like it's it's so easy to become sort of just, you know, workhorse-like in, in preaching in a tradition like ours that you you neglect that this is all one thing as Paul's writing. And probably when Paul first wrote his letters, he assumed that his readers would, would hear it from beginning to end all in one sitting. And we would do it all again next week. Cause that's all we had from Paul or we'd trade letters with the Colossians and read their letter, but pretty much you'd hear it beginning to end. Um, because in Paul's mind, one thing connects to another connects to another. And in any case, whatever our tradition, we're not great at recognizing those through lines that Paul absolutely meant. And especially when we're talking about the gifts, I mean, there's whole books written just about spiritual gifts. There are whole books written on just the, these few verses out of First Corinthians, um, and they don't touch on anything else, even from first Corinth, from this chapter, yep. from this book. They might touch on some of the other list of spiritual gifts from other books from Paul and things like that. But like, you know, in this subject in particular, we can we focus so much on just this that we forget about all the other contexts that's surrounding it. Can, um, can I can I make can I make a half thought out conjecture about why that is? Always. Uh, maybe only the only things I ever say are half thought out. Um, but um, I, I think, and this is a, a criticism of the culture in which we live, books about spiritual gifts will sell because that sounds like it's, oh, a way I can you know, improve myself or something that's good for me. And a book that's how to love people better that like by the time it gets around to the second half says, oh, in your particular way, here might be your spiritual gifts, but that starts with you exist in community for the benefit of building everybody up and they exist for the sake of building you up. That doesn't sell well in a consumerist culture. And again, I, I think that's, I say that to our shame in the you know cons- consumerist culture that we live in, but it feels to me like it's a marketing thing. You can market a book on, um, Here's how to discover your secret hidden talents and you can live a better life now. Um, but if somebody's book is, do you want to get better at loving other people? That, well, that, that begs the question, what's in it for me? And in a culture that like builds everything on what's in it for me, that's hard to, to write that book. It's hard to sell that book. And therefore it's hard to get that book published. That makes me, I guess, especially grateful that Paul lived in an era where he wasn't interested in making money off what he wrote, that it was just, here's what I'm convinced God's given me to say to you. Uh, like it or not, here's what it is. I don't care if I make any money off it or not. Yeah, we, we treat spiritual gifts a lot like spiritual disciplines. You know, we we said in the last episode, we said earlier this year when we did the whole series on spiritual disciplines, it's to edify ourselves, to grow our own personal relationship with Jesus. And so then we think spiritual gifts are the same way. And in some ways, yes, they do edify us, but they are meant ultimately to edify the community. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. as somebody who's read a lot of those books <laughs> on spiritual gifts, um, sometimes they're even the, the books that break these things down kind of focus on that me side of it yeah, and lose the community side of things uh, and how, you know, how do I take it's, it's, how do I, how do you grow your gift? Yeah. Um, but then not, how do you use your gift in the community? Right, right, right. And I, I guess I feel like, um, 
the 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 analogy or metaphor of music keeps coming to mind to me. But like, um, if you are in an ensemble, um, you know that the point for you getting better at say playing oboe or clarinet or trombone is not just so you can play a bunch of trombone solos, but primarily so you can be in an ensemble. Because trombone solo is a kind of acquired taste. But symphony, yeah, a lot like music that brings a lot of voices together, each of them being what they're supposed to be, that can be really powerful and beautiful. Um, And that maybe that's that Paul assumes he's writing to people who know that they are playing in an orchestra or a marching band and not that they are solo virtuoso trombonists. Um, And it's great if you're great at the trombone, but probably you're meant to play with other people and that your music is is meant to help bring everybody else's music out better too i i say this as the string bass player from back in my high school and college days and like i was mediocre at best at string bass playing um but like i get it that without string bass playing you lose the lowness that allows the violins to be what they're supposed to be and there's something beautiful about being part of something that's bigger than yourself but again like that that's hard to write a book and sell a book that's going to say that about spiritual gifts. It's easier to say, you could be a virtuoso. You could be the celebrity. And that, that, that's a sad state of affairs, I guess. Well, as a soprano, you know, we get the melody all the time, but I have, I'm not a solo singer. Mm-hmm. I, don't, <laughs> I don't have a strong enough voice. I don't have the confidence to be a solo singer, but I've sung in enough choirs with some amazing basses, tenors, altos, that when you get that whole group together, like it, it's just the, the fullness of the sound and the beauty of that sound together versus just the soprano going off on her own, you know, over here. I mean, that can be lovely and that can be great, but it gets a little tiresome just hearing that real high pitched. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, singing all the time. You need that. You need the basses and, and others to, to fill in the rest of it. Um, and, and maybe to push that metaphor a little bit further before we delve into, in future episodes, individual spiritual gifts, in really interesting music, there are some simple major chords, but sometimes you'll get tension in a chord with a suspended fourth or a seventh, mm-hmm. and on paper, they look like they'll clash. And maybe for just an instant, there's a, there's a ooh, but that you need that energy, and that sometimes spiritual gifts have like different directions that seem like they thrust in different direction. And instead of being like, Oh no, no, they all have to be uniformly. They all have to be in constant alignment that it's okay. That sometimes one person's spiritual gift, like might feel like it's pushing the envelope in this direction. And over here, somebody else's you know gift is, is pushing the conversation in a different way. Those might all be necessary. Even if any one of them might be outside of my personal comfort zone. And when you have that clash musically, but then it resolves. Yeah. You know, just the, the beauty, you know, at least two of us, I'm not sure, but Sarah, you, know, you said you play piano. You know, we're all kind of somewhat musically talented. When you hear that resolve, it just makes, you know, it's just, it's a powerful thing in there. And so when there's tension amongst spiritual gifts, you know, when they're starting to push things, but then you see how those gifts resolve. Yeah. You know, to bring about and to glorify God and bring about edification for the, the church, the congregation, the group, whatever it is. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to see how, okay, there was tension here, but now we're all working together again. Yeah. Like, oh, there we go. That's what we've been working for. As I think also to continue pushing the metaphor, uh, the benefit of it being a 
require of being a community is that I don't have to sing the notes that I can't sing. Right. Right. That um, I don't have to have all the spiritual gifts. Somebody else can. Like I am a high alto, low soprano. So like anything above an E, I can't sing like, or I can sing, but it sounds terrible and it hurts my throat. Um, but when I'm singing in community, I don't have to sing those notes. You know, right. I can sing one of the lower notes. Um, you know, I can't imagine having the spiritual gift of healing because blood grosses me out. Now, <laughs> but I don't have to have that spiritual gift. You know, I can just be glad that somebody else in the community does. Yeah. And, and I, I would say too, that that allows us to be okay with across the whole community of Jesus in the world, that there are different traditions that um, have different takes on different gifts. We're going to explore this in, in upcoming episodes. But, you know, for example, when we eventually get around to the whole um, reality phenomenon of speaking in tongues, that's outside of my wheelhouse. I'll just, I'll just name it. That is outside of my wheelhouse. But I've, and I've also seen it done badly in places by televangelists who sort of like when you can tell they've forgotten their train of thought or they want to look super spiritual, they'll stop the sermon midway and like wow you with their, their glossolalia for a minute. And then like that has left a bad taste in my mouth, but I got to, I have to have the humility to say, God's allowed to do stuff that's bigger than what I can see. And if I'm playing, you know, the, the root of the chord thinking this is a C major chord. I only want to see major. God reserves a right to put a seventh in there and God does not have to consult me. So there's going to be other folks who play their notes and I may not like them at first, but maybe I'm not hearing how the whole thing resolves. We're not to the end of the song yet. Um, and any one of us might in, in our own individual, you know, spiritualities or theologies or, or uh, denominational circles might have things that are we're more comfortable with and some that are a little more, this is outside of my territory here, makes my Lutheran spider sense tingle or something like that. Um, but instead of just shutting it down because I don't expect it or I'm not familiar with it to allow God to be big enough that maybe this song is bigger than just the baseline um, and, and discover it's a lot more beautiful when you hear all the voices. Well, how about that? Like a bunch of jazz musicians, we just created ourselves a little jazz riff on this whole music metaphor here in first Corinthians 12. Well, um, so we've done uh, at least laying the groundwork for where the rest of this series is going to go. If this, again, has um, has piqued your interest at all, we'd invite you in the rest of our episodes in this series, we're going to be taking a look at some of the specific kinds of things that uh, Paul names in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 as spiritual gifts. We may pad that out with other spiritual gifts named elsewhere in the Bible, but looking a little bit more, what does it look like? What could it mean? How would I know it if I had it? How do I use it for the sake of others? We're going to resist the bookstore temptation to only be about how do I make it about me um, but join us for the rest of these conversations here on Crazy Faith Talk see y'all bye what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. 
Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.